you're listening to that sober guy podcast on recovery radio living one day at a time for a sober healthy happy life for more information visit www.thatsoberguy.com and now let's start the show i have seth manter in the building this evening this episode of the podcast is brought to you by that sober guy meetings go to thatsoberguy.com Click the live meetings tab. We're doing them bi-weekly. So every other week, you can go on there. There's a there's a register link on there. Take you to a registration form. And you can log in from wherever the fuck you're at. Kick back. Enjoy a meeting. You can speak if you'd like. It's an open discussion meeting. Uh, you can log in from your desktop, your laptop, your iPad, your iPhone, you can call in like a good old-fashioned conference call on your cordless telephone if you'd like. So check it out. Spread the word. Coming up on a future episode here shortly, we have a guest who will be joining the podcast. Her name is Melissa Walsh, and she has a very interesting um, and pretty inspiring story. Uh, that's, that's really to say the least. So uh, Melissa made a decision when she was 18 to um well first off she was getting ready to go to college uh she she was um, just about to graduate or had just graduated and uh went to a party one night drank some alcohol and decided that she didn't want to stay and drove home and woke up 10 days later as a paraplegic so uh she's going to share her story with everyone uh on on the podcast coming up so stay tuned for that right now we have Montana Dennis, who wrote in, Dennis writes, uh, him and I write back occasionally, and he wrote in and had some pretty interesting things to say I wanted to share. Um, So he said, I never had any problems quitting drinking or drugs. I just had a problem staying stopped once I had quit. Either bad things would pop up and take me out again, or nothing bad would happen and I would drink or do drugs to celebrate. Or I would get bored if neither happened. I now know the problem was I just stopped the drinking or drug activity, but I retained the same old behaviors, attitudes, relationships, resentments, and feelings, which I now refer to affectionately as BARF, B-A-R-F, little acronym there. To quit and to stay quit, I had to throw out the old BARF and get new and improved BARF that was more compatible with my new sober adult lifestyle. But it wasn't easy. It didn't happen overnight because I'd spent 45 years of my life acquiring coping mechanisms that didn't really work. Mostly, I just drank and drugged problems away instead of dealing with them. But they always just came back with interest on top of the original debt. What I needed was good coping skills in place of my dysfunctional ones. Thankfully, help was available and my AA friends helped me gradually replace my barf with the new and better barf, which worked under all circumstances because I'm not the one running the show anymore. I have retired from the position of master of the universe. It was a lousy and difficult job anyway. No one seemed to appreciate all my hard work. I just get all the planets and galaxies arranged on one side of the universe when the ones on the other side would start misbehaving. But after my retirement and 16 years of practice, I can now usually say, thank you, God, for the work you're doing in my life. I have no idea what you're up to, but I can't wait to see how you'll miraculously turn 
this thing I view as bad into something miraculously good. Uh, Dennis, thanks for writing in. Really appreciate it. You always have some good insight on some stuff, uh, different different things. I know you got a lot of experience, uh, been through a lot of things. 45 years of acquiring coping mechanisms that didn't really work is probably not a very easy thing to uh, to change after that long. Weren't we just talking about that, how when you're young, you pick things up and then um, you're kind of a product of that as you go on? You know, I mean, I guess it's a little bit different, but. Yeah, we were. I, and I, not that I forgot the conversation, but I forgot the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was something along the lines of we're habit, we're creatures of habit. So if you teach, when you're taught things or when you grow up in an environment or when you attain certain things that you do, um, you know, I guess the deeper that you dig into that, the harder it's going to get to change those behaviors, to change those things in your life. Yeah. And it, like you said, I mean, we're definitely a product of our environment. You know what I mean? If, if you were taught how to do something at a very young age, you know, you're going to continue to do that until you, you decide to make a change for that. And that, that's something that, um, I've been working on with my therapist, uh, lately about, uh, you know, just to be honest, like showing affection and shit, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't, I wasn't able to show affection just because, you know, there wasn't really much affection going on in my family. So, um, trying to learn how to do that at 35 is, it's tough, dude. And it's, it's, it's like, it's kind of like a foreign language, you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't even know where to start. It feels awkward though, right? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's like an uncomfortable like someone will go to hug or something, and well, you're a hugger though. You've always been a hugger. No, I could, I, I could hug. The the the, th- the crazy thing that's awkward, like Mel Mel wants to hold. You know, she she would like to hold my hand, and you know what I mean. Like I understand that. You know, yeah. a little public display of affection or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's fun. I always make a joke out out of it because it you know it's awkward to me, and I I always tell her it makes me walk weird if I hold your hand. So I can't hold your hand because I don't want to have to walk weird. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> What kind of fucking cop out is that, dude? I, I, you know, I mean, but it's it's just one of those things that I I never did and I never knew how to do. Like, I don't even remember, you know, as a young kid, my mom holding my hand as we walked across the street. You know what I mean? And it, that's probably where it started. Like, she didn't grab my hand, and you know, if someone else is gonna go ahead and grab my hand, like, weird, you know? <laughs> You're weirding me out right now. But no, I mean, yeah, Dennis, I appreciate that email too. That. uh you know, like you said, 45 years, man, of trying to, trying to change that. That's, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, Shane, can you, can you repeat that acronym again? I, I like that, the BARF. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that's a, it's a good one. So it's BARF and, um, let me see. It was old behaviors, attitudes, relationships, resentments, and feelings. So old behaviors, attitudes, relationships, resentments, and feelings. Um, and, you know, there, there was one more thing I wanted to share in here, too. It's the very last of the email. Uh, it said, God made a lot of changes early in my sobriety, and much of it was intensely painful. But looking back, even my cancer diagnosis in 2004 turned out to be a giant blessing. My belief is that God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but he is just awesome at turning bad things into good things. I can't wait to see how these miracles turn out. So, to to deal with something like like a, a cancer or something like that is is pretty incredible for uh for somebody to be able to look at it in the light of a giant blessing 
Um, I can't really, I don't even know. I, I don't even feel right even trying to elaborate on that because I, I really, I don't know. Um, but I can only imagine. I just want to say something about that barf. Like I'm still burning on that thing right now. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that, that saying, um, that goes along, uh, I hear it a lot in, uh, in, in the rooms of AA or whatever, but, uh, about the, the, the alcoholic, like I'm an alcoholic, right? But you know, you take the alcohol away and I'm just an ick, you know what I mean? Until I decide, decide how to, you know, overcome <laughs> that ick and, and work on that ick. I, I didn't say dick. I said ick, but, um, cause I'm still a dick, you know, but, uh, that that that's that's the whole process of of uh obtaining and maintaining sobriety you know is is working on that ick or like dennis says changing that barf i i, I really like that acronym and i think uh i'm probably gonna have to write that one down put that in my in my book so again dennis thanks for that let's see i'd like to look at this other article that i brought up here it's called symptoms of a high functioning alcoholic so I'm just going to skip ahead. And this is actually, this was, uh, this is on Sober Julie, the SoberJulie.com. I came across this. I was looking for some different uh, recovery sites today. Um, she's got a pretty cool site here. She's got some recipes on here, some health advice, um, travel ideas, and some good articles too. So this is one of the articles. And so there's just a couple talking points I'm going to go through here on symptoms of a high functioning alcoholic i think we all know um would you well would you have considered yourself a high functioning alcoholic well yeah i mean absolutely you know i uh in my in my you know in in my alcoholic days it's hard saying that because i'm still a fucking alcoholic yeah you know what i mean in my i guess in my practicing days of an alcoholic um i can't even say that because i practice that but yeah, no, I was I was definitely a, a, a high functioning alcohol, alcoholic. Uh, you know, I worked full time. I still got up in the morning to go to work most days, um, and I, I carried on with everyday life. You know what I mean? A, a, as far as a non functioning alcoholic, it'd be it'd be nice to know what the definition of that is. But I think that's probably someone that was just, and you know, they just drank. You know, st- stayed inside to themselves and and drank. So, um, yeah, I, I would consider myself high functioning. Well, I w- I'm wondering what a, what a, what a low functioning or a non-functioning alcoholic, would that be someone who is considered maybe uh homeless on the street who didn't have a job, who didn't, uh, and, and I'm not saying this is true. I'm just simply asking the question because that's the first thing that popped in into my head. What, what kind of alcoholic would that be? You know, the guy who, the, like that old classic one that you picture in the, uh, in the doorway, you know, sleeping on a cardboard box with his, you know, coat covering him. And he's got the empty bottle of uh, the little fifth of vodka brown bag laying next to him. And he's just not shaving and just stinks like piss. And you know what I mean? Like, that's the classic, like, alcoholic right there. And I think that's what I think that's what a high functioning alcoholic who doesn't know that they're an alcoholic pictures an alcoholic as, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as horrible as that sounds, I mean, <laughs> think about this because this was me. Um, you know, at, at the height height of my alcoholism, I mean, one 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 thing that sticks out the most to me um, was, you know, when I was working nights. I mean. So to start my day in the morning, I would wake up and uh, smoke two blunts, 
get in the shower, probably have a Budweiser in the shower, get out of the shower, have another Budweiser, and then on my way to work, I would smoke some more weed. Like, I repeat, on my way to work. You know what I mean? And that was normal, though. And that was normal. Was it was maintenance at that point though? Really, in a sense, right? Yeah, and then you know, like I remember doing lines of blow at fucking work. You know what I mean? Like, how is that any better? You know what I mean? Than the that's no different than the guy that you just described. You know what I mean? I I would say that the guy that's at work that's putting other people's lives in danger is actually more disgusting and 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 (laughs) whatnot. And I, you know, I probably smell like puke and, and and piss and and whatnot because. I don't know. Well, maybe not because I did shower. I did have that Budweiser in the shower. But yeah, isn't isn't that just crazy that we you know we we relate the alcoholic to that vision that you just put in my head and it you know. Um, well, we minimize we minimize it too, and that's um, that's one of the big things you know that I thought early on when in my sobriety was that, and I've talked about this a lot. I think I've even I've even written about it on the on the website about the stigma of alcoholism because that's like the first thing that somebody would think of is like well damn i'm not homeless you know i still got money in the bank i still got a job you know that's I, i'm not a i'm never an alcoholic you know because the word alcoholic is just to say it there's something about it alcoholic there's something like if you if you haven't accepted that yet there's something demeaning about the word like that makes you feel inferior and makes you feel like um, just not good. I don't know. I mean, not to me. I'm just saying maybe to somebody who, or let me put it this way, to me before I was able to admit and realize I was an alcoholic, those are the feelings I had towards, you know, the stigma of alcoholism. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, there's absolutely that fucking stigma there too, man, because, you know, like, I'm very open with my um, my progression of uh, of the disease and and being an alcoholic, and I talk about it a lot, and I talk about it to people that have no idea. And some of the like the reactions, not 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 uh, verbal reactions, but some of their you know their body language and the way that they look at me, like ew, you know well, what some I mean? Pe- makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, and you know what? And I, I love it. Like I think it's fucking great. You know what I mean? That I could be comfortable in that, but I'm making someone else. You know, that's, that's probably the wrong thing to do. But, I mean, it's like, hey, I'm just going to throw it out there, man. You know what I mean? Like, why not? Yeah. Just be honest about it. And, oh, yeah, I mean, here it is because it's like, why why hide it? That's what I used to do. I used to hide my booze or my drugs, you know. Now it's like, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, I do agree that there is that stigma. I mean, fuck, dude, you know, the the age of the reality TV that we live in, there's even a fucking show on TV that, you know, it's super dramatic and dramatizes the whole thing, you know what I mean? Which it is. It's a a dramatic disease, dude. But um, I think a lot of, you know, what we see in the media and uh, the perception of of the word alcoholic, it's just... I don't know. I get really worked up about that and fired up about that because there's so many of us out there that, um, you know, that have, that have, uh, gone through what we've gone through and we've, you know, we're overcoming that every day. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's funny you say that about overcoming it because I was thinking recently how proud I was just to, to have the nuts and the strength and, like the wisdom and the tools and the support to not drink. 
Because it's how fucking easy is it to go walk over? I mean, I live, you know, a block away from a liquor store, you know, from a couple of them. How easy is it when I have a bad day to walk over there and go grab a bottle of of whatever I want and and everything floats away for a moment, you know, for the day or whatever. But I'm so proud that I don't have to go do that because it's so fucking hard, especially at first, you know, to train yourself to not do that. It really takes like some guts and some effort and some want. And um, I don't know where the fuck I'm going with that other than the fact of it's it's really like it really amazes me to be honest <laughs> still well and, and too i mean like you said dude that's the easiest thing for us to do is to go and get a ball of booze and fucking drown our sorrows you know what i mean but now dude i take like you said i i take a lot of pride and be able to deal with bullshit nowadays mm-hmm. dude like and it's funny man because of some of the some of the bullshit that i deal with today dude like back then that shit would have got me fucked up you know it would have got me fucked up for a pretty long time you know pass pass out fucked up throw up fucked up you know what i mean and some of the shit that i deal with now it's like are you fucking kidding me like really that's it that's all i gotta do <laughs> and it's gone you know what i mean so yeah. it, you know it goes back to uh you know giving up control and, and surrendering and and you know with that um as long as you're able to do that over time man I, you know the the whole even the the thought of walking down the store is no longer an option you know what i mean it's just like here's the bullshit I'm going to deal with it. I might not deal with it right the first time, but I'm going to deal with it and it's going to fucking pass. You know what I mean? So like you said, I mean, you know, there is a lot of pride in that to being able to, um, to deal with it. And I think that, you know, if I were, uh, God forbid, you know, I mean, if I were to ever go back and walk that make that walk to the liquor store, or drive to the liquor, it'd probably be a drive, um, to the liquor store. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta I don't able- even want to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. How would I? How? how, I don't know. That makes me feel dirty. I know. It's fucking weird, huh? It's weird. I've had dreams like where I drank in my dream, dude, and you wake up and that shit is fucking scary. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, what? Like, you wake up and literally feel like you blew your sobriety and like your life is just a, a mess again. I haven't had one recently, thank God, but especially early on, like, it was, it was often. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is you can subscribe to the website. Uh, you'll you'll get meeting updates on the on that sober guy meetings and uh, little tips on sobriety. Um, and I don't I don't send out the emails very often. I should probably do it a little bit more. Um, but uh, if you're interested in that, just go to the website and go to the subscribe page. Um, let's get back to this list here real quick. So high symptoms of a or symptoms of a high functioning alcoholic. And once again, this is soberjulie.com. Um, it says peers become others who enjoy alcohol. Often the high functioning alcoholics group of friends will change. They choose to surround themselves with people who drink alcohol on a regular basis. And alcohol is always a factor of the events. Back in my drinking days, I prided myself of the fact that I didn't drink during the day, but if one paid attention, it was quickly clear that at any social event I attended had alcohol in the center of it. Definitely true for us back in the day. Yeah, yeah, there I mean, wasn't a damn thing we did that didn't have you know, some form of substance. Yeah, there. no, and I, I mean, I, I drank, you know what I mean? And I, that's, I didn't hang out with the non-drinkers. That would be no fun. 
that would, yeah, that would be fucking boring. What would you do? Like how? How does? What the hell do they do? What do they play checkers all day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I know, I, I know, know. But, but the group of friends, I mean, you know, that that we grew up with. I mean, that's that's just what we did. And as sad as it sounds, it's like, you know, I'm still really good friends with a lot of those people, and that's all they do. I mean, we don't talk as much as we used to anymore, but, um, you know, like, but then again, I mean, the, the thing with alcohol, dude, it's like, it's everywhere. You know what I mean? Alcohol does not give a shit that Seth is sober. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, it's everywhere. Well, I heard when I, when, uh, Mark Lundholm, um, he's a recovering addict and comedian, a uh, really great guy. He came on the show and, uh, you know, a while back when I first kind of started the show. And one of the things he pointed out in the episode was that alcohol is not the problem. Alcohol is a tool like anything else. And alcohol can be used responsibly. There's plenty of people out there who can use it responsibly. I'm not one of them. <laughs> you are not one of them. Many of us are not one of them. So what I'm getting at is, yes, alcohol is all around us in ads, in movies, in commercials. I mean, all kinds of shit at the store. You know, wherever you go, there's alcohol. Um, you know, but when you, when you really look at yourself, that's really not the problem. Like, I'm the problem. And I can't blame my issues on alcohol, you know. Um, check this next one. I think this is interesting one too. So it says, and and this really, this like progressed so fast, um, for me towards the end of my drinking alcohol on the mind. Some high functioning alcoholics will obsess over the next drink, counting the hours, worrying if they have enough to last the night and doing the math on how much they can drink before appearing drunk. Now that's, like it's it's fucking comedy huh like when you really think about it because dude my yeah i mean i did that shit i'd be sitting there thinking okay wait let's see i had i drank two tall cans i just, i drank you know like five shots of vodka let's see if i do this i'll probably be about okay yeah i'll be cool you know i could i could drive yeah i'll be fine like there was like this secret fucking formula you know what i mean that you just got down this like science and obsessing over it too damn am i gonna have money tonight how am i gonna get five bucks so on my way home i can stop and make sure i'm able to get that you know before i go home you know what's crazy too about that is that goes back to like my early days of drinking you know what i mean obviously uh in my later days of drinking i i, I kept alcohol stocked and and uh you know i was uh I was a big smoker of, of the uh, ganja, too. I mean, I, dude, I would buy ounces weekly so that I had enough weed to get me through the week. You know what I mean? But the funny thing... Like, facial. Going facial. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing <laughs> about the, the whole early life, like, I remember being in high school, standing on the sidelines, you know, playing football, standing on the sidelines because I was, you know, I was pretty good, but not good enough to play both ways. And I would stand, you know, one of my one of my old homies, dude, we'd be standing there like, man, can't wait till this fucking game's over so we go get fucked up. You know what I mean? And this is, we were 15, 16, 17 years old talking about this. So that, I mean, I'm going to give, uh, you know, SoberJulie.com. You're getting plugged <laughs> like no other right now. But, dude, so far, I mean, I think we've covered three topics, dude. It's like spot on. Yeah. So the next one, one is never enough. I don't think this is you, Seth. No, this isn't you. <laughs> this isn't me either. 
This person has an inability to drink a single alcoholic beverage. You'll often see them refuse entirely. But if you pay attention, you'll see that they're just waiting until they can get home and finish a bottle. If they do have a drink, chances are they won't stop until the night is done. This person is the master of hiding their problem. You may not see obvious signs of drunkness as he or she is masking the signs, but each drink will simply make them want more. Um, the refuse entirely, I've talked about this a few times. That was, there, there were times like, say, my wife and I, we'd go out to dinner and it would be like a Tuesday night or something. And I knew that I couldn't go home and continue to drink that night because she would be there and she would know and she would call me out on it. So there's no possible way I could do it. That would be the only time when I would really be able to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to drink tonight because I couldn't have just one. So I would say, no, I'm not going to drink. And it, it would bug me, you know, but I would say, no, 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 I'm fine. You know? Um, so, and, and to me, that was justifying the fact that I, I don't have a problem because I look, I just said, no, even though I really fucking want to just get smashed, you yeah, know? Yeah. But that was, that was me. Yeah, and for me, I mean, fuck, I, I don't think I ever uh, remember ever refusing anything. You know what I mean? I always, I, I, if, if I wasn't, I don't know. I always fucking drank. You know what I mean? If it was around, if it was there, if I could put my hands on it, I always fucking drank. If I didn't have enough money to fucking drink, I still drink because I found, you know, I, I found ways to. Yeah, you get creative. Yeah. So I mean, that that is. Uh, and you know what? Even to this day, dude, like it still blows my mind that there's still people out there that could have just the one drink or not even drink at all and not drink for three weeks. And then the next time they drink, they could have one drink. Like that fucking blows my mind. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to us that this doesn't. Um, it just like alcoholism probably doesn't make sense to them. You know, it's the same same type of thing. And I, I don't get it either. Like, I, I don't know. Alcohol is a constant. For these people, alcohol is a main feature in their lives. For them, is it, it is impossible to imagine a life without it. And if you're a friend, you'll notice they always have it around. Shame after drunk. Because they work so hard at crafting the image of, of capability and hiding their dependence on alcohol, when they have drunken behaviors, the, F, the HFA will be overwhelmed by shame. Um, they will not stop drinking. Chances are they will work harder at controlling their behavior. Yeah, that's a good one. I like this one too. Compartmentalizing life. There's just a couple more. As the master of hiding things, the high-functioning alcoholic separates their drinking life from their work, family, and other lives in order to feel better about themselves. Um, tried to quit. At some point, the high-functioning alcoholic have tried to put down the bottle only to find they return to it without or with gusto. And the last one, blackouts and memory loss. This is a pretty obvious one. As the high as the high functioning alcoholic progresses, he or she may find the instances of blackouts and memory loss increase. This is a sign of the progression, very important word, progression of the disease because it progresses like a motherfucker. Before you know it, you're fucked. Yeah, that goes back to the I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah. Whole analogy. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, no, I'm wow, fine. that that's a um I think every single one of those like yes, 
Yeah, I, I didn't say no to any of those. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I'm I'm just a regular dude, you know what I mean? Like and I'm here to say that all that shit is fucking right. You know what I mean? That that is definitely in my case, that was my case. Um Wow. It's pretty mind blowing that there's like information and material on this stuff out. You know, so this alcoholism thing, it's like widespread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. You mean it's like worldwide? It's not just like in my little fucking community? Holy that's, shit. That's pretty There's alcoholics awesome. in New Zealand and Europe and Japan and China. I don't know. Do they drink in China? I think so. They probably get so. fucked up in yeah. China, huh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and if they if they catch you bootlegging it, they fucking chop your arms and your legs off. Adding on to that, the information out there. So I came. What I how I found this this site today of um, or this article I just read the symptoms of a high functioning alcoholic. I just uh, I googled like top, you know, top alcoholism blogs or top recovery blogs or top recovery sites, some shit like that. And, um, dude, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of material as far as offering like professional help, like rehab centers and all that stuff, you know, um, site or therapists. Uh, there's also a lot of blogs, you know, of people that are just like you and I, that just have basically put their life down on paper and, or, on the computer um a lot more than i thought i guess uh i think it's pretty amazing you know that there's all this information out there you know i mean this even um with that stigma that goes into it if you're not feeling comfortable that you know you could go go into a support group or some shit you could sit in your own little dark little room with your fucking ball of booze and look at (laughs) this kind of information you know what i mean And, and 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 you'll see that like this shit's serious man and and you know it affects a lot of people it affects a lot of people that um, you know, I, I think as an American, you know, we base our life off of, um, our, our economic status, where we're at with work, you know, I think, um, that's, that's a big part of us. And you'll see that there's, you know, there's CEOs and presidents and doctors and bums and there's all, it affects everybody. It's not a prejudice disease. Yeah. There's no, there's no rich, there's no poor, there's no black, there's no white involved in, in the disease of alcoholism and addiction. It doesn't give a fuck who you are or what you look like or what you do or how much money you have in the bank. Um, you know, the the relevance of it is is very equal, I guess, equal around it. I mean, shit, you go in the rooms in, in some of the support groups and, you know, there, like you said, there could be a lawyer in there. You know, or there could be a bum in there, you know, and those, and I've seen it happen right in front of my eyes. Those, that lawyer and that bum will sit there and have the best heart to heart discussion on the same level playing field. And all that other status quo bullshit is out the window, you know, and they're, and they're both going to teach each other something, you know, about, about life or about, you know, whatever experiences they've, they've been through. Uh, Point to that is, uh. Get to a meeting if you're struggling out there. They're in your neighborhood. All you got to do is look it up. They're everywhere, all around the world. Yeah, and again, man, I'll reiterate, you know, like like Shane was saying, there's all this, all kinds of information out there, you know what I mean? So even if, you, you know, like you're questioning or you're questioning a family member or, or whatever, I mean, fuck, do a little bit of research, man. You know, 
get off get off the Facebook for a little bit on your iPhone and 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 check some shit out. I I even have a couple apps on my phone that I have a um, there's a big book. You know, I read the big book on my phone. Then there's another daily affirmation one that I that I use every day. Um, and it's, you know, I just look at it for maybe five, 10 minutes, man. And it's, you know, it's pretty amazing that there's all these fucking tools out there. And yeah, I want to piggyback on that. Get the fuck off the Facebook for real. That shit is just ridiculous. Like you, if, if, I mean, I'm not saying get off of it for good. It's a good little tool to keep in touch with friends and I'm, I'm not hating on it at all. I use it occasionally for the podcast too. Um, you know, my wife uses it to share pictures with family and friends and stuff. So, I mean, there's definitely some good things to it, but when I say get the fuck off of it, I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about being on it on a regular status, like, because you have nothing else better to do with your life than sit there and, and post stupid ass shit that nobody cares about when you could be educating yourself whether it's about whatever topic it is, you're you know, who knows what it is, but I'm going on a rant right now that's yeah, stupid, but it just fucking, fucking drives me Grant's crazy. Rant dude. right there, dude, straight up. <laughs> I think as the, is that a, that's like a little bit of a soapbox right there, right? Isn't a little it, bit. I, I would say so. Yes, you're very correct. So I'll just leave it at that. And no, uh, hopefully that gets out to a little bit of uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe he hears that and the the whole get the fuck off Facebook. That'd be that'd be great. <laughs> We're going to switch gears here. Let's talk a little baseball because we did talk about this. We said we wanted to uh, – we got springs coming up, spring trainings in the mix right now. Baseball season starts. For those of you who don't know, Seth and I are, are very big Oakland A's fans. We're in the Bay Area. Um, how long – you've been an A's fan since you were a kid too, right? Yeah. I mean, for yeah. pretty much yeah, the, since I could remember. I mean, the good the Bash brothers and yes, you know. Carney Lansford, Mike Gallego, yeah, 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 straight Oakland Coliseum, still playing at the same dump that the sewer explodes or the what is it the uh, not the not the sewer but uh, there what what just it floods all the time in the Coliseum. Yeah, it's the clubhouse. It's the sewer. Yeah, you know, I guess hey, you know sewer. it's fucking bad when you got people in the stands dressing up as like sewer creatures and shit, right? <laughs> like the the that team across the bay. You got fans that dress up as fucking uh, zoo animals and shit. You know what I mean? We got people dressing up as sewer creatures. So, uh, you know what though, man? I I love the Coliseum. There's a I've I had a lot, a lot of great memories um, at the Coliseum. That it's crazy, man, because my memories of the Coliseum haven't been really since um, they've been more recent. You know, what I mean, a lot. I, <laughs> My old memories of the Coliseum are being in the, in, the, in the little jail cell that they have at the Coliseum. <laughs> yes, there's actually a jail cell at the Coliseum. I've been in there. Um, I've been in the bus that they park out in front of the Coliseum for Raider games and shit. But, uh, yeah, baseball, man, it's, I'm fucking juiced. I'm, I'm excited. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not just an A's fan. Well, yeah, I am just an A's fan. But We're I, just I, baseball I, yeah, fans yeah. in general. Yeah. No, I, I I definitely agree on that. Like I'm a huge baseball fan. We've we've always enjoyed going to some games, um, and I love the Coliseum too because it's old school. Yeah, it might not be the flashiest, most up to date. It's probably one of the oldest in the league. I'm I'm pretty, I'm almost sure that it is. It's top three definitely. But you know what? I can still afford to take my family to a baseball game there. Or some of these other venues, you know, you're going to be out three, four hundred bucks just to go to a game. You know, where the A's, I can go to a game for a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? With and take four, you know, a family of four. 
So um, and it's good baseball too. You got a lot of young players. Uh, they do make a lot of moves on there, which is fucking always move, always change. moving some, some, some oh, things around. Change. But uh, I'm getting off topic here. But so let let's go back what 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 you were kind of touching on here, and that's part of the reason we are gonna we are gonna talk about this. Um, a lot of the mem- the memories that we have of the Coliseum and A's games, I would call them vivid memories because. Uh, at least for me, I have a lot of still photos in my mind of like certain times and, you know, events, but there's not any very, there's not very many clear, like, um, like a clear memory of like a full day. And here's why, uh, Oakland is one of the only, um, one of the only stadiums where you can still tailgate, I believe outside in the parking lot. So basically when you go to Oakland A's game, you got a full parking lot, all full of people, and everyone's barbecuing, everyone's drinking, everyone's smoking, everyone's having a good time throwing footballs and baseballs, and you know, just you got you got your chairs out there. Um, I mean, it's a good good time. It's a good tailgating stadium. That being said, we would get fucked up before the game even started. You know, and so by the time you get into the game, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Going to an A's game, you know, three years ago for me, it was not about going to watch baseball. As as big as a, a baseball fan I am, I've played the game since I was like two years old. You know, as 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 when I could walk, basically, I was carrying a bat around. So I mean, I've always loved baseball, right? Well, three years ago, it wasn't about the game, and before that, it was about going there to party and to get fucked up. And so I never, I never really remembered much of the games. You know, I remembered bits and pieces of an inning here, an inning there, or, or the walk down to the bar, the walk out back to smoke, you know, shit like that. Whereas now, like last year was the first time in probably, you know, since I was in my early teens that I had been to a game and was sober. And it was fucking awesome. Like I remembered the whole game. I had fun, you know. And it was a it was a completely different experience. Yeah, it, I, I I totally agree with you about the um, you know prior to getting sober the the thing about going to the game was for me you know other than barbecuing and fucking drinking before but um, my biggest high was having that little ball of Jim Beam in my back pocket and being able to trick security that I got into the game <laughs> you know what I mean like that was my rush you know like. I brought my own fucking booze into the game. You know what I mean? But, um, like you said now, you know, uh, you know, opening day is a, is a big, uh, we go to opening day every year and, uh, man, being able to sit and, and watch the whole fucking game. You know what I mean? I probably get up and go pee one time, but, um, to be able to sit and watch the whole game and take in that whole, you know, all the energy and, Cause it's all pretty much positive energy, you know, that, that you get off of the crowd there. And it's, it's pretty amazing that, um, you know, <clears throat> all that, all those games that I had gone to prior to my sobriety, you know, I had missed out on all that, man. And, you know, that's really, that's really what that sport, you know, sport is all about really is, is being able to go and, and take in the energy of the crowd and, and watch the, uh, the entertainment in front of you and to be able to, um, take that home and take those memories home with you. You know what I mean? It's, I was amazed the first time that I was able to do that. Like, holy fuck. That's what I've been missing. It was a whole new experience. You know, it was something that, 
Like I could, like you actually get excited about watching the game versus before I was excited in the ninth inning when, you know, it was a close game because I just finally got back to my seat in the bottom of the eighth and I was fucking hammered. And now everyone's on their feet and they're cheering and they're shit faced. And you like don't that, even know what's going on. You have you're no cheering clue. Cause everyone oh yeah. Is. You're going, you're just going nuts. And you know, they're, there's some fun involved in that at the time, I got to say. I mean, I'd be a liar if I tried to sit here and say that that, you know, there wasn't a lot of good times at the games with friends and family. Uh, you know, there definitely was. But when I look back on it now, I feel the same way. A lot of wasted time, you know, going to those events. Uh, and it's, and see, and I, I don't want to sound like, it's different for us because there's people who can go to games and have a few beers and like have a good time. And so when, when I talk about these kind of things, you know, or when we talk about these kind of things, we're not saying that that's, that there's anything wrong with that. You know, I'm not saying that, Oh my God, anyone who goes to a fucking baseball game and drinks is an asshole. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm talking about my personal experience and the fact that I was an asshole and, and didn't know how, you know, to, uh, to have a good time responsibly because a lot of the times then I drove home afterwards fucked up from Oakland, you know, and we live what 50 miles from Oakland. I mean, I'm, I'm so lucky that nothing ever happened, you know, on that, on those drives home on those drives, you know, back to, back to the hood. Yeah, for sure. And Hey, I'm going to flip the script on you real quick. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that anxiety that you felt, um, you know, going to the game for your first time being sober? Like, what was that like? Yeah, that's a good uh that's a good question. Um I wasn't I wasn't really sure what it was going to be like. I know that I was excited to go. Um I know that it was a little bit I felt a little bit out of place, I guess, because I was so um like see these thoughts still pop into my head occasionally and they don't they don't happen nearly as often as they used to. Like when I first like the first like 3 months of my sobriety like my mind on a daily basis would still subconsciously take me out to the garage to smoke. And then I would get to the garage and I would be like, oh yeah, I don't smoke anymore. And I would have to go, you know, and I I would do that often and I did it with drinking and stuff too. So like on the way to the game, um, you know, I can remember thinking like, I'm going to get to the game and have a beer and then, oh yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't drink anymore. You know, so those thoughts were still there and that's just part of the training of, you know, that environment and living that lifestyle. But, uh, once getting there and, um, I, I, I couldn't really tell you exactly the whole, it's kind of funny. Like I think about it now, I'm like, I couldn't remember anything cause I was drunk, but like, I can't remember everything that happened in the game that I went to and I was sober, but I do remember that I had a good time, you know, and I do remember that it is possible to have a good time and be sober and watch some baseball. You know, you know, I felt young again. Put it that way. Oh yeah, I felt like, young. Like a kid. I felt like a kid. Like yeah. I felt like that that excitement of like actually watching the game and having fun without having it revolve around anything else. Yeah, you know, and it, <clears throat> for I mean, I was pretty anxious, you know, going the first time um, because the people I was going with, they, you know, I knew what they were going to do when they got there. But um, what what I did to handle my angst is I found a new love in my ginger ale. So I fucking pound about 15 ginger ales. When I, maybe not 15, but a good yeah. amount. More than the several. normal. Yeah. I had several. <laughs> more than the normal person would. And what I would do is I'd pour that into a red cup, man. I'd, I'd be right there with the with the drinkers. But 
I tell you what, man, once we got into the stadium, man, no one gave a fuck that I wasn't drinking. And I'll tell you what, the person in front of me, I'm sure they were very grateful that I wasn't the guy that was spilling beer on them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that was me. I was the guy that would, you know, jump up to cheer and lose a $18 beer over the head <laughs> of the people in front of me. You know what I mean? And a lot of times that was families, dude. And, and, and yeah. you know, people with kids and shit. But, um, yeah, but you don't care at that time. No, Fuck you. No, yeah, I didn't. I didn't care at all. But um, I mean, not you. But I'm just saying that guy. You know, in general, at the game, that is just like fucking, fucking, fuck you. He's fucking <laughs> shit faced. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. always that guy. And can you imagine now being sober and having a beer spilled on you? Oh, pissed. I, I would be, I'd be pissed. pissed too. Yeah, I'd be pissed. You know what's funny? It, it wasn't an A's game, but um, I remember my first Raider game sober. You know what I mean, and uh, it was pretty amazing how it happened. We had a, a family friend that had actually worked for the Raiders, and we ended up getting sideline passes, man. And I remember when you, you know, how you were talking about going to the A's game, feeling like a kid again. I remember uh, Tom Brady ran by us, and like that was the first time I was fucking starstruck. Like I felt like a little kid. Like, yeah, oh, babe, it's fucking Tom Brady. Look, it's you know. <laughs> And it was, it was to have those feelings and, and, um, you know, we talk about being sober and being able to deal with the bullshit, but another thing that comes along with sobriety is being able to have those, those feelings of excitement again, you know what I mean? That's a great point. Because that shit, I mean, you know, with alcohol, all of the, every feeling was numb, you know what I mean? I couldn't even really be happy when I was drunk because it was, it was numb by alcohol, you know what I mean? So uh, with my sobriety, I was able to feel that again, dude. And it was like... I, I mean, I get the chills now thinking about it that, and I, and I'm just now like starting to realize like, holy fuck, dude! Like, I I get to be excited again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know, I know. It's, and it, uh, it's crazy too, man. Like, uh, getting back to the baseball thing, like, um, you know, this year, you know, we we kind of tried to talk about this at the gym a little bit the other day about how, you know, correlating the change of our uh, of our baseball team with the, how we've changed our lives and being excited with the new change, man, and. I don't really know where I'm going with that, but um, it's kind of it's kind of the same thing, you know. There's kind of the nerves of um, having new players on your team. You know, we've 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 had great teams the last two years, and then um, you know, and stripped down, we've been pretty much stripped of everyone that we love. And but thinking about the new team now, man, it's like fuck, dude. If you uh, <laughs> if you look at the names that we got, you know what I mean? It's uh, well, I'm, a, I'm actually looking at the active roster of the Oakland Athletics right now, and there's, yeah, dude, there's some new names, dude. I like Lowry and Zobris, two pickups right there that were that were pretty. I mean, pretty you think nice. Ike Davis too, dude? Like, uh, yeah, Ike Davis know, can crush, dude. If he if he plays like he played, a, you know, a couple years ago, and of course, man, I I don't know, I was listening to uh, Tiki Barber on his radio show. Tiki in the Barber's got a radio yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hella crazy, dude. It's like uh, I have to check it's that on out. A, it's on at like four o'clock in the morning. It's super really, early. it's it's pretty bad. But he made he made a really good point about um you know a team on paper. Like when was the last time a game was played on paper? You yeah, know I mean? yeah, but, that's true. So, it's true. It no, it's exciting. Shit. Yeah, uh, Zobra, and then uh, that Billy Burns dude. He was crushing today. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Billy Butler. Yeah, another pickup. Billy Butler. I mean, fuck, dude, that's doubles all day. Sunny Gray. He looks like he's twelve. <laughs> you know what's crazy? The fucking is what's, guy can pitch, but man, dude, I don't even think he's got 
hair on his face. <laughs> you, when, hey, when he grows his mustache, it's I love <laughs> I love Sonny with a mustache. It's hilarious. Is it patchy or is it like a is it like a stash? Uh, it's well, it's blonde, so it's then, like peach fuzz. Yeah, but then you know, like just directly under your nose and over your upper <laughs> lip is like where you grow doesn't grow that well and then you got the corners his corners are like super long and they overhang it's fucking got hilarious it. so yeah no so that just goes to show too man that um you know there, there's there's fun to be had out there um still doing the you know going to the same places that you used to go when you're drinking like it's I, I don't know i don't know really how to say this but i'm just gonna kind of say it how a normal guy would say it like it's still okay to go to the baseball game and not drink. I mean, it's, it's totally possible to do that. You could do it. If I could fucking do that, um, and enjoy myself and, and, and have fun with that. You know what I mean? It's, I, I, I think that anyone could do it really. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And not only baseball games, but anywhere, you know, it's possible to do anything, um, you know, and not, and not drink. And, you know, back to this article that I was reading, you know, this, it just came up again, and this was one of the points of it, is alcohol is constant for these people, and, and I'm included in these people. This was definitely how, how I thought of life, you know, before. For these people, alcohol is a main feature in their lives. For them, it is impossible to imagine a life without it. And if you're a friend, you'll notice they always have it around. And... um you know, especially towards the end, that was definitely like I couldn't. That was part of the part of the problem where why I didn't want to admit because I knew once I admitted, I would have to go get help and I would have to follow through because if I didn't, I would really lose everything. You know, it wasn't going to be like the, the time before where it was like, okay, I think I have a drinking problem and I'm going to stop for a couple of months and you know what I mean. And then a few months later, the shit dies down and then I'm back getting fucked up again. You know, so to to imagine that though, and I think I don't think I know because I've heard people tell me this before, friends, you know, that I I just I could not imagine not being able to have a beer, you know, or not being able to have a drink. That's a very hard thing for a lot of people to do. But like Seth just said, it is definitely possible, um, and it it definitely can be done. Well, and, uh, you know, with that too, I mean, the, the day that you surrender and the day that you give up and, um, you know, it's very true with me. I mean, it was, I was very sad, you know what I mean? Cause I was losing my best friend. Yeah. I was, I was turning my back on booze, you know what I mean? And that was fucking really heartbreaking. I mean, you know, what's even more concerning about that too, man, is thinking about, um, you know, my time in the military, like it was a great time. You know, the mil- the military would have provided me with a really good career and, and um, great benefits and everything. But the, the when I was getting ready to reenlist, one of the stipulations was you are to not ever drink alcohol ever again. And to even fathom that at that point in time, it was like, fuck, fuck that. Fuck the career. Fuck the benefits. Fuck all that shit, dude. That's fucking bullshit, man. They're going to say I can't fucking drink. That's ridiculous, dude. You so know what at I mean? the time, was that part of the the reasoning for not? Because I remember asking you just recently, do you wish you would have stayed in? Just totally randomly, was that part of the reasoning why you didn't stay in? That was, was that, the sole reason. Was that it was, really? That I was never the knew sole that. Reason. If that if that was never brought up, and you know, thank you God so much for bringing that up. 
You know what I mean? But if that was never an issue, if that was completely off the table, I'd, I would still be in today. You know wow. what I mean? Four years away from retirement. Yeah. You know? But at the time, it wasn't. There was absolutely no way nobody was going to tell tell you that you can't drink. You well, know? and there wasn't even that second thought, like, okay, well, maybe I could do this. Yeah, no, or maybe I could fool them. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It was like, fuck, fuck no, yeah. yeah, you're not gonna fucking tell me what I can and can't do. You ain't my fucking daddy. <laughs> oh wow. Well, so how did um, how did how did your time in the military, um, how did that change your, your drinking or progress your drinking? Because I think you've mentioned that before. Whether it's boredom or whether it's a coping mechanism. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, my drinking career in the military, I mean, it, it, it was definitely um, hot and heavy. You know what I mean? A lot of it was, uh, this is something that we had talked about earlier, you know, every social event was based around alcohol you figure you get um you know when i got stationed up in alaska there's you know i think there was 85 men on my boat or something like that and you get 85 strangers together you know what i mean the only way to loosen them up was was to drink you know what i mean um you know and, and there was there was no time really to um really get to know someone for for who they were is just to get to know you know their their drinking schedules and how they how they match with yours. So um, that goes back to that high functioning alcoholic thing. And then you know um, also too, man. You know there wasn't really much um, counseling or time to cope. You know in the military with with things or things that I saw um, or did or or um, was witness to. You know, and the only the only way to cope was to drink. So yeah, definitely. I mean, my drinking in the military was um, pretty much out of control. I mean, looking back now, it was you know fucking insane, really. To be honest with you, um, you know, a lot of it was was boredom, um, being in an odd place with nothing else to do um, but to drink. Um, you know, and this was this was in Alaska, man. Like, there's all kinds of shit to do. You know, if you're an outdoorsman, if you if you like to hunt and fish and hike and fucking do all that shit, but the, you know that took too much energy and too much whatever. You know that a, that a normal person would be, you know, in heaven up there. Yeah, it's kind of hard to like pack in a a 24 pack and a a big bottle of Jim Beam in the backpack. You got to actually, you know what I mean? It when you're outdoors. Yeah, that. yeah. Like you can't, you can't really do well, that. You, and you can't really hike and drink at the same time. <laughs> Usually, my drinking was yeah. done on a, on a bar stool or, or you know, in well, my have you couch. Ever, have you ever hiked drunk? That's probably fucking miserable. Oh, it's got to be. <laughs> it sounds fucking I mean, miserable. It, it might be fun at first, but I would imagine about an hour in, uh, once you know, once your buzz is worn off, it's probably pretty shitty. Yeah, and and you know, I can't, I can't really talk uh, too much about about um coming off of a battlefield you know but i could only imagine dude like the only way to cope the only way to the to numb your mind to that would be man yeah just to get out of your mind yeah to get out of it so i definitely i definitely used alcohol as a vehicle to get out of my mind you know and and i (laughs) i got out of my mind drunk every time that it you know it was around i mean I i think we talked about this on my first podcast dude like you know, when we were in port, our working hours were seven in the morning to one in the afternoon. 
um, you know, when that Liberty Bell rang, fucking, I was off the boat and in a bar as soon as I could. And in the, in in New York, man, uh, this is going back from you know after when I was in Alaska and New York, the fucking bars were open until four o'clock in the morning, bro. So you know, my ass was there until four o'clock in the morning. And then going back to work on the boat at seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. So I mean, and then do it all over again the next day. Yeah, it didn't matter if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, th- you know, any day of the week, like. It was on. That's what fucking me and the group of guys that I hung out with, that's just what we did. You know what I mean? We didn't um, We didn't talk about, you know, I was in New York during 9-11 and, and part of that response there. We never, ever did we ever mention anything about what we were doing that day or not. We didn't have the opportunity to talk about it. And I think it was maybe a little bit of taboo, you know what I mean, to feel. You, you, we weren't allowed to feel, and I could see how, um, you know, that would be the same. I, I can't even really put the two, you know, in the same category, but I could see how, you know, coming off a of battlefield, like you, you're not allowed to fucking feel, man. Just fucking do your job, you know what I mean? And um, it's very robotic in a in a sense. Absolutely, I'm, no, yeah, I, absolutely. And they hearing. they put that robotic mechanism into your body the first day you're in boot camp. You know what I mean? So. Um, if, you know, for me, any feeling that I had prior to boot camp was, was totally removed. I was now, um, a number, a military member and, you know, with great pride, obviously, but, um, you know, looking back now, like there was no therapy sessions. However, you know, I did, I did get sent away to a 28, um, day program while I was in the military, but then again, it was military ran, you know what I mean? So we weren't really allowed to talk about. Or there was never that I was never given really that opportunity to talk about what was going on in the military at that time with uh, with my service. It was more of about um, you know prior to that, what was my upbringing like? You know what I mean? Now, why was why were you not when you say you weren't allowed to to talk about military service? Was it was it like things that were that you literally weren't allowed to talk about or was it just like a more like a stigma thing? Like you just don't want to talk about it because you just don't No, it, it wasn't. I, I, yeah. It wasn't that we weren't allowed to talk about it. It was just, it was taboo. It's like a code almost. Like yeah. It was taboo. You didn't fucking, you didn't talk about it, man. That's what, that's what you signed up for is basically what the attitude was. Like you're the one that fucking raised your hand. You know what I mean? You're the one that got yourself into this and fucking deal with it. You know what I mean? There was there was times that I you know that I went to my um, you know I was in the in the Coast Guard. He was my chief, you know, an E seven or whatever. But there was times you know that I tried to you know get a little bit of direction out of him, and you know I'm, this is what's going on right now. And it was like you know what you have that fucking uniform on, you better you know wear that shit with pride and 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 just do your job. Basically, do your job. You know, and there was, like you said, that robotic. Um, yeah. well, would you would you say though too that that there's some? Because I feel like from hearing you say this that there's a part of that that is um, that is very much needed to to do the job. You know that a lot of our service men and women do. To to have that robotic side, in other words. Well, yeah, because, absolutely. You can't like be. you said. You can't have you can't have somebody who's an emotional fucking wreck out there trying to get a job done that could cost people their lives. You know, so so there, there's a there's a, a focus sense that has to let all emotion go out the window 
and and really be able to focus on doing that job. So and, and I'm I'm just playing the the thin line thing here because on the other side of that those things that you know that you yourself dealt with, you know, and then other service members deal with whether it's being on a battlefield or whatever job it is that you do um, there has to be some sort of relief to be able to talk about those things at some point, whether it's with a therapist or whether it's with a group of your brothers and sisters who, you know, did the job with you, um, you know, whoever it's with, do you think that it's, um, is it just not an option so much? Is it not offered as much? Do you think for military members to get that help that, that is so much needed, or is it more on the side of, um, people, you know, maybe they just don't feel like they um, like that. They want to follow that code, like they don't want to talk about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I just don't know where where to even begin. Um, you know, I absolutely agree. I mean, you 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 can't really have someone that's an emotional wreck. But on the other hand, man, um, you know, I've been out for I got out in '04. You know what I mean? We're sitting at 2011 right now, and I've been to. Or in two, 2015. Oh, my bad. See, <laughs> fuck. Wow. Whoa. Damn, you were like fucking four years <laughs> off, bro. You weren't even like, that wasn't like, <laughs> that was just a clerical yeah, error. Yeah, clerical error. Um, remember, I still am an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, 2015 now, man, like I, I've been through a lot of therapy sessions, dude. I've gone, you know, I'm, I'm still in therapy. Um, I, I I, I go see a counselor weekly, um, you know, that it's been working out really well for me, but I, I, I have still yet to touch on my, my military service. You know what I mean? Um, just because, you know, getting back to, you know, the, the affection thing that we were talking about earlier, I was taught, you know, that, you know, you don't show affection. You know, I was taught that as a kid and even now it's hard for me to deal. Well, it's kind of the same thing with the military, you know, in the military, I was taught, you know, you don't show, you don't show, uh, emotion. You know what I mean? And I, and I still have yet to um, to talk about that. And I don't know if it's my resistance or just not really having that opportunity to put that out on the table. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, the 9-11, man, that was that was a, that was a serious, serious deal for me, man, especially as, as a young kid. Um, you know, and it, to be able to not even talk about that now, like. Well, I've heard you, I mean, you know, and we've, we've gotten into it a little bit and I have heard you say before that you really felt like what you saw and the things that you dealt with, you know, in that, in that time really did lead to the progressiveness of your drinking, at least in that time. I mean, we all, we both know that, you know, we drank, you know, your, that you drank, especially, you know, at a younger age too. So that's not to discount that at all, but, um, you know, if I can remember, I don't remember exactly what you told me before, but you know, there was something along the lines of like that, you know, not being able to deal with that really did lead to like, like just that kind of the case of the fuck it's almost like just, I'm just going to get after it. You know what I mean? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was like a little kicker. You know what I mean? You had um, that kind of in your back pocket, like, well, you know. I, this is how I deal. You know, this is just what I do. Yeah. And it, it was, a, it was a fucking cop out, man. It, you know, like, Hey, I dealt with this in my life. Therefore I'm going to fucking drink and I don't give a shit what you say. You know what I mean? So, um, 
Yeah, I don't know, dude. I, I think that uh, a lot of a lot of what gets ingrained to your head at, at first instinct, man, is is what you go with for the rest of your life until you decide, you know, that you're gonna that you're gonna work on that. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of the military training that I received, and man, that's not to say, dude. Like, I'm very proud of my military service, and I absolutely, and, and I, uh, I I hold veterans to a, you know, they have a little special place in my heart, and. Um, I appreciate all they do, you know, but on the other hand, one thing we got to remember, man, is that we're human, you know what I mean? No matter, no matter, um, what we have been through, you know, there, there is that emotion deep down inside. And even though, you know, 2004 to 2015, I still have a hard time dealing with that, you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm starting to open it up a little bit and, um, you know, going along with that, like there's so much out there, dude, that, you know, to help with that, uh, that, that PTSD and, um, stuff like that. You know, I, I haven't watched it and this is getting back to that, you know, being the reality society that we are. There's this really amazing show on, uh, A&E it's, uh, called war dogs. And, uh, I, I get the chills talking about it right now, but it's basically military members that have come back from, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, battlefield areas that, um, they go through this therapy and it's, it's basically with a service dog and they show, they show the, um, the, the veteran prior to having that service dog, how they're, you know, greatly affected by the PTSD. And then, you know, the, the progression with the training with that, with that service dog, it's, it's pretty amazing, man. You see how these people just kind of like the light bulb comes on and they're, they're this big ray of sunshine, you know, um, it's pretty amazing. And, War dogs on A and E. Isn't that cool though? The um, how dogs can have that effect. There's something about a dog. We're both dog owners, you know. We and uh, you could have a terrible day and come home, and they could give two shits about your day. They're just happy to see you, you know. Yeah. So I can imagine, you know, that that spirit of life that um, would give to you know a, a veteran who's been through some shit, you know. Too. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, A&E. I don't know. Yeah, A and E. I, I don't. I don't know. It, it, it used to be on on Monday nights or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Getting back to the dogs, dude. Like you, you're absolutely right. I could have a fucking horrible day because um, I I still do have those days, dude. And and come home to my dogs, and they're the only ones that could fucking light me up. It's pretty amazing. Oh yeah. Well, hey, if I just sat around and licked my balls all day, <laughs> I'd probably feel fucking fantastic too. Yeah. <laughs> I would if I could. <laughs> um so have you i'm just curious have you gotten into any details of your experience on 9-11 in your therapy yet you i think you said that you we i've I've touched on it a little bit and i'm not asking you for any details i'm just asking you why why do you um well i guess maybe why is not the question like you hold that very close to you obviously it's something that's difficult to talk about. So I'm, I don't know that, that just seems like it would be, it's like that, that skeleton almost, you know what I mean? That just like is haunting, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Well, I'm one of those guys, man, that when I'm deal, when I, when adversity comes my way, I shut down. You know what I mean? When there's an uncomfortable situation in my life, I shut down and I will not fucking talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something that I'm working on right now is to 
be a little more open to the fact of, you know, that talking about it and dealing with it and sharing with it, sharing about it is actually more therapeutic than just shutting it down. So, I mean, obviously, you know, it's something that it's, you know, it's, it's in progress. You know what I mean? I've, I've, um, and that's not just with just the military stuff. That's, you know, with anything, you know, any adverse, that's with anything really. Yeah. Just life in general, like from whenever certain experiences. Right. And, you know, and and I hope that, um, my hope is that one day there, you know, there is a day that comes that I'm able to, you know, um, discuss that, you know, I think like with anything, with any human being, basically any man, woman, like timing, it really is everything. And so it, it's funny how things like that happen when you, maybe you least expect it, you know, all of a sudden one day you're just like, damn, like, you know, I'm going to do this or I'm going to talk about this or I'm going to address this. You know what I mean? And so I, th- I really think that that day will come for you and you'll know when it is on, you know what I mean? Like, and, and maybe you'll get some sense of, um, relief there in a sense, you know what I mean? Just, or not, not, not so much relief, but almost like you move on from it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. And I, I look forward to that day. You know what I mean? I actually, you know, and I'm it's, saying it's with not, any situation, not I'm not so just much saying. So, you know what? You know what I really look forward to is just being able to not have that um, coping mechanism of shutting down. Like I'm so sick of fucking doing that. You know what I mean? It's it's it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help me at all. It, it actually is very irritating to me, and uh, you know, even the people that I'm around. But yeah, dude, I I, I look forward to the day that I'm able to um, speak open and freely about you know, that day or, you know, my whole experience in the military. Um, well, the, the shutting down thing doesn't help us in relationships either. That's the other thing, you know, like the whole, just like, all right. And I, I'm working something I've been working on for quite a while now too, is, you know, I used to be really bad at that. Well, like, fuck you. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? And just, part of my well that's what the, that's what the guess, whole latest defects. therapy sessions are about is uh you know the, the relationship things and man they are i think we've had like uh four four or five maybe four sessions dude and it seems like it's a whole different rela- relationship it's fucking crazy you know what i mean and um yeah fucking therapy man therapy free plug <laughs> free plug www.therapy.com <laughs> Oh, man. Dude, you know how long I've been going to therapy, bro? Since I was like fucking, I think we're probably in the same boat. Both of us been when we were kids, right? I mean, I yeah. think I was going when I was like 10. Yeah. 10 or 11, we were going I got, to. I got told that fucking, you've never really been to counseling, have you? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Yeah. I been. I mean, shit, dude. I remember doing, Um, it was called sand therapy. And this is something that always sticks out of my head is, Basically, you sit in front of a sandbox uh-huh. um, with a bunch of, you know, figurines and um, you're asked to, my therapist asked me, okay, do you, how do you feel or what's life like to you? And I remember, I was talking to Mel about this not too long ago, that my sandbox, it was all the figurines were on one side of the sandbox <laughs> and there was a line drawn in between there and then I built up this 
big sand hill um, and put, you know, one person on top of that. And then I dug down as deep as I can. I put the other person down on in, in that. And I was the one that was on the other side of the line, um, deep down in the sand that I felt so like, and it's wow. crazy. I mean, that is crazy. It's crazy. Bro. This was like at nine or 10 years old to have those feelings. Of yeah. Just being alone and lonely and not having anyone there. You know what I mean? And, um, the, the, the guy on the, on the hill, that was, well, that was my father. Um, that he, he was, he was meant to be like so close to me, but he was so far away. It was just, it's crazy that at 10 years old that I was having this, like, yeah, these thoughts, but you, it's funny to be, or, you know, like you don't think of it like that at the time. It's not like a critical, uh, thinking type of thing. Like we would think as adults, like those are like true feelings, you know what I mean? And that's how you're expressing it through putting the, you know, the, you down at the bottom of the sand that that's pretty, it's crazy that you remember that too at 10 years old, you know, so this really, see, and this goes back to where, where we started the podcast too and what we were talking about before we started the podcast uh, is that our the product of how we're brought up as youngsters, you know, really does affect how we turn out and the things that we do as adults and man, that's something for me to keep in mind. I just think about my kids, you know what I mean? And just about having them grow up in, in a, in an environment that is positive versus, you know, the way I grew up. Yeah. Because that's, yeah, it's going to show. It, well, it's dude. And it, looking back now, like this is something that, you know, my current therapist brought up to me, like you are a direct, um, product of of your surroundings you know what i mean and i look back and i'm like oh fuck you're absolutely right and then i look back to you know the relationship that my mother had with her mother you know what i mean and um i see how that relationship is almost the same as um you know the relationship that i have with her very very um matter of fact or or maybe not so matter of fact you know what I mean? More is less like stay away and I'm not going to let you all the way in, but you know, I'll give you a little bit of insight as to where I'm at. Um, it's just, it's so funny that, you know, the, the relationship that, um, my mother has with her family, you know, I kind of, I kind of see a little bit of that now in, in, in my family and it's, um, doesn't that shit piss you off when you're like, I, when you're like, I'm not going to, or when you think back when you're younger, well, I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? And then you just just happens. You know, it's not a bad yeah, thing. I'm not, I mean, I mean, like you said maybe the good stuff. Yeah, no, not at all. And that, I'm not just saying even just the bad stuff either, or the stuff that we don't like. Even the good stuff, you know, that we might have said, "Oh, I'm not." It's like back to it again. The shit we do growing up, you know, that's that's a lot of it is going to be where you know where we end up to, or what we end up doing. So, so the ne- the next meeting, right? Um, don't sweat the small stuff. Yes, yes. Um, next meeting is don't sweat the small stuff. Go to uh, go to thatsoberguy.com and you can sign up there. And then, if you're listening to this at a later date, after don't sweat the small stuff, we're just we're doing them biweekly. So, um, you know, I'll always post the link up there on the website, and you can check and see. Right now, they're on Wednesdays, I think. 
and those you know it could change it could be on a sunday one time um just go on and check it out uh, i'm really enjoying them and i'm glad you're a part of them too and um it's a good it's a good outlet it's a good it's a good tool to add you know to you know an 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 aa meeting that you already attend or an na meeting or therapy or whatever you're doing you know to try to change and and better yourself uh and and the great thing about it is you can do it from wherever you're at you know you can call in or whatever it's kind of what what i like about it yeah that's that's uh very very convenient i think the very first one um i was sitting in a tattoo parlor getting tattooed you were. which was fucking that's pretty cool man getting a little, a little support group at the tattoo parlor and then yeah. um you know the second one uh, I think that was a, a homework night, so I was actually um, in tune to the meeting. However, I was still, you know, able to do a little bit of of homework, as crazy as that might sound. A little, a little multitasking going on there. Oh, so yeah. yeah, it's it's something that man. It's I think it's fucking great, dude. You could do it from wherever the fuck you want. <laughs> So so um don't sweat in the small stuff. Can we get a little uh insight onto maybe what that might be like so that um there's a few there's a few things that that I had in mind for this topic, I guess. I let's see. The last couple of weeks for me have been very irritable and frustrating. And a lot of the a lot of these things are due to some you know, some very stressful situations that I don't really care to get into that are, um, you know, that are, that were pretty stressful. And then I think almost more of it, of the frustrating part is like the little things in my life that don't go my way or the little things that bug me, like everything being in its certain little place, you know, and as stupid as that sounds, and I feel stupid even saying it, it's just, it's so true. And it's just part of who I am and it's part of the things that I just have to learn to deal with and accept. So like, for instance, if, you know, something is not right where it should be, or another good example is when things break, like if something breaks, like I, I have a hard time of like getting over the fact why it had to break. Like, why did that have to break right now? This is the worst time for that. Why is this going? Why is this happening to me? You know, and I'll fester on it. And I will, I will let it, and I've gotten a lot better at it. So I'm, I'm definitely learning how to deal with it. Um, it used to completely overtake me. Now it just pisses me off a little bit and I'm, I'm doing better at getting over it. But obviously it still bothers me because you know, the way I've been feeling the last couple of weeks. So anyways, that's kind of, that's kind of where the topic for me is, um, on don't sweat the small stuff and learning how to deal with these little things in life, um, that are like, I made a list out that is, um, you know, stupid things that bug the fuck out of me. And, you know, there's just some of these things that, you know, that, that bug me. Uh, what about for you? What is, what is don't sweat the small stuff? Uh, is it that serious? You know what I mean? What I got going on right now is, um, you know, with, with trying to purchase a home, you know what I mean? Like wondering what the outcome is going to be. It's like, basically the answer is either yes or no. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um I've found myself uh 
referring to my phone to check my emails every 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like even at work where, where I don't get a signal, um, I found this one place at work that I do get a signal. So I, I carry my phone with me and I'll drive up to this little spot on the hill and park the van just right so that I get a signal so I could check my email. And now fucking my employer is affected by that because I'm not as, as productive. Um, so that's one thing. And then also too, man, that, you know, the, with, the, with the new job search going on, um, you know, not being grateful for the fucking great job that I have and yeah, looking for that email from them, from the, from the other perspective employer, dude, it's like, you know, um, that, that's kind of what, what I got going on and it's, you know, it's really affecting like my attitude at work. It, it, it's affecting, um, my attitude at home, you know what I mean? And these are two processes that are fucking long and drawn out. And my alcoholic mind wants a fucking answer right now. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I I, I can't, I can't. And the, the, the biggest thing for me to remember is that I have no, I've already done everything that I could do to uh, influence either one of those decisions. So it's out of your hands. It's out of my hands. You know what I mean? And, and I need to give that up. And, um, you know, I'm still working on that, man. Like, you know, some things I'm I'm better at doing that with than others. You know, I'd be crazy to think that I could do that in all aspects of my life. You know what I mean? Because it's you know, um, some people might think that it's it, it's totally possible, but I think it's you know it's kind of impossible to re- really um, give everything. You know, when I mean everything, I mean fucking everything you know what i mean so um i i struggle with that you know what i mean but i i i'm able to get back to where hey look seth you know you've already done what you could do you know what i mean it's out of your hands and even if the you know the answer isn't what you want to hear there's nothing you could do about that because you've already you've already put the work in and you you just got to kind of move forward um so you know it's it's the future tripping and the fucking i I ask myself on the daily like is it really that fucking serious well i yeah and i think what you what you just said towards the end there too really really made a lot of well the whole thing made a lot of sense but especially the part in you know having to we we try to position ourselves in the best possible um, place for success, you know, whether it's with work or, or, or whatever our marriage or whatever we're doing. Um, and once we do everything we can to position ourselves to where we want to be and where we give ourselves the best possible chance to succeed, we have to learn to let the rest happen instead of going up on the hill and checking our email or, you know, um, for me getting pissed off at the little things that aren't going my way when, when there's a lot of good things that are going my way. You know, and, and that's, man, I, I don't, I don't know that that'll ever change for me, but at least like I'm, I can be aware of it. You know what I mean? And actually I take that back. It can change because there's, there's actually, there's steps that you can take to, to not do like, like for you instance, you don't have to turn your phone on, you know, maybe that's a step like which you used to not do. Right. I mean, cause when I know I've tried to call you before out there, I could never get a hold of you. Your phone would be off or you wouldn't have service. And I know how that is too, because I'm, I'm bad at that checking my email too. I know for myself, I do a lot better when I'm in like a set schedule. Like when we're, it's almost military is, you know, like we're, we're in a set schedule. The things I do is on this time, these days. And like, when I set myself up like that, I realize, um, that I'm more successful than when I'm all over the place. Cause when I'm all over the place, I tend to get in trouble. 
goals too, you know, setting out your daily goals. Like that's something that I've, I've done in the past and I've, you know, started to get back to whether I write them down or, or take a mental note, you know what I mean? And it, and it too, it kind of, um, gives me that affirmation that I could do it. You know, I could, I could set goals and I could work my best to accomplish those goals. And then at the end of the day, I could look back at, at, at what I did and be like, man, fucking Seth, you rock, dude. Like you're hella good. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny, dude. Like I always, I always, um, look back on my dad, bad days, you know what I mean? And for the most part, I would say 99% they're self-inflicted, you know what I mean? And if you don't believe me, I mean, just wake up and fucking have a bad attitude and see how well your day goes. You know what yeah. I mean? It's going to fucking it's gonna suck. suck. <laughs> but, it, you know, if you wake up and um, however you choose, you know, whatever prayer you, cho- you choose to say or whatever you choose to do that makes your, you know, your day good and, and ready to go, you, your day is generally going to be pretty fucking good. Nothing nothing could really stand in the way of that. You know what I mean? And Well, like, like uh, one of my favorite favorite sayings and it's why it's at the top of my website is happiness is state of mind and it really is because you could you could be you know there's people out there that go through some of the worst things in in life and yet they still find a way to you know to have that positive attitude so i mean that's that's what we've learned and you know i continue to learn is that i have to i really have to focus on not controlling those outer situations, but controlling the way I react to them. And it's fucking not easy. I'll tell you that. No, it's not. But, but then again, I mean, if you could just program in your mind that the outer situations are going to happen fucking regardless. Exactly. You know what I mean? Of, of how you're feeling, whether you're happy or mad or sad or fucking indifferent. You know what I mean? Like shit's going to roll the way it's going to roll. You know what I mean? And, and that's part of the surrender is just allowing that um that shit to roll the serenity prayer man that's that's something that we talked about in our therapy session my the therapist had the goal to ask me um do you say the serenity prayer i was like are you fucking kidding me you know what <laughs> i mean that the the serenity prayer you know like that's what gets me through my day and um that just kind of just reaffirms that you know what's going to happen is going to happen and you know there's only some things that you could change about what's going to happen but for the most part you really can't you you really have no control over it and that's what montana dennis was saying in the email you know at the at the beginning of the episode too was about talking about how he's able now to look at those those challenges that god gives him as blessings you know to um you know it's all how you look at it it really is and it's all what you make because life life's going to throw things at you and if you if you can learn to not look at them as a bad thing and as a lesson learned either to not do that again or to do it a different way or to help somebody else out who maybe is going through that same thing that you've already gone through um nothing you know nothing can can really um I don't want to say nothing can be bad because there's plenty of bad things out there but you know what I'm getting at so, hey, getting back to uh, Montana Dennis's email too, man, uh-huh. about how how you know life throws you you know different shit all the time. I mean, and, and kind of tying it all back in with the with the baseball thing, shit too. I mean, think of a baseball game where if, if a pitcher that's all he threw was fucking fastballs, and the fucking batters were just hitting home runs all fucking day. Like, how boring would that fucking game mm-hmm. be? You know what I mean? And if life didn't have its challenges, like. You know what I mean? Like, how boring is that? 
Um, so yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things of, uh, of accepting your personal responsibility is first and foremost, accepting, um, the fact that, you know, life is going to throw you different shit at different times in your life, but you usually when you unexpect them, you know what I mean? And, and for the most part with me, um, the curveballs that life changes me is something that I've done, you know, it's self-inflicted, you know what I mean? And, and being able to deal with that nowadays, um, rather than walking down to the fucking liquor store, like we were talking about earlier, you know what I mean? It's, it's so much more rewarding, you know what I mean? Even though it might be a motherfucker in, in the moment, um, when you, when you get the opportunity to look back on it and you know, this Shane, when you get the opportunity to look back on it, you're like, holy fuck, dude, I, I was able to take control of that situation and um, make the best of a bad situation and fucking pull through it and pull through it the way I was supposed to. The pull through it the way that, um, you know, maybe the non-alcoholic would have pulled through it in the first time and not even even fucking thought about it. So um, that's that's where the reward comes in is when you get to look back on those moments and be like, holy fuck, dude. And, and you to be honest, you know, the, the curveballs that I get thrown in my life, um, when I'm able to deal with them, it's like, dude, it wasn't even really that bad. I know. that That's that's one of the things, and you're so right on that, is that, well, number one, they come when you least expect it. Number two, I talked about this in, in the last episode, is that they come in groups, it seems like. It's always like two, three, or four of them, things that happen all at once. And then, um, you know, going through a few things recently, like I was really able to take the situation and think about how much how much worse other people out there have way worse situations than you know my situation that I was in and it was an uncomfortable situation it wasn't an easy one you know but there's ones out there that are 10 100 thousand times worse you know and and not to like not to be a dick like that well else at least I'm not that guy but <laughs> I'm just saying I was able to like put that into perspective and say well thank god you know, that like, I'm not having to deal with anything right now, um, that, that is worse than this. And so that really enabled me, um, to like, like you were saying, take control of the situation, like critically think about it, like critically play chess in my mind and say, okay, if I do this, here's the outcome. Here's the outcome of this. If I do that, like, what's the best play here and like set it up, um, you know, to, to win basically to, to, to solve that problem that was there. It's like, it's like critical thinking and problem solving. Whereas before I would have been an emotional wreck probably and blamed the world on, you know, whatever. So these are minor things. I'm going to have many more of these situations to come in my life. And they're probably going to be some that aren't as bad. And there's probably going to be some that are much worse. And so, I really think God is is showing me right now, um, you know, every, every day is a test, I guess. You know, every day is a strength builder to to start, you know, building and having these experiences to carry on to the next day, to the next experience, to the next time something else happens, whether it's good or it's bad. Well, along with that, man, too, is, you know, something real simple. If you just do the next right thing, it's going to work out. You know what I mean? If you do the next fucked up thing, you're probably going to have an adverse effect about that. You know what I mean? Just my, my sponsor a, a long time ago told me, man, just, just do the next right thing. Everything will fucking work out, you know, like, and it does, it, you know, it usually does shit. Usually, uh, shit usually irons out. 
That's good advice. And it's simple too. You know, it really is simple when you, it's like, just do what's right. Do what you know what's right. And then sometimes it's not always the easiest thing for, for some reason (laughs) for us, you know, we want to make things all fucking complicated. I know I've been struggling with that. Like I haven't been wearing my fucking seatbelt lately. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't want to wear my seatbelt. It's not. It's not that I don't want. Well, I mean, yeah, I get. Maybe it's. Um, and it's not. It's crazy, dude. Like I don't need. I have the beeping noise and the flashing seatbelt guy. And then even on the dash, like there's something that says driver seatbelt not buckled. Like <laughs> here's your fucking sign, Seth. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just you know. Is it just because it's uncomfortable or just because you don't want to wear it? Well, like, a, I like to fucking G-ride it in the fucking car, yeah. dude, and the seatbelt kind of hits the neck area. You yeah, know I what know. I mean? Like, <laughs> I did that earlier. I put it, I tucked it underneath the arm, because underneath my arm, you know, because it was just an, annoying. The other night I was coming home from school and fucking, I drove for a really long time without a driver's license and stolen tags and fucking no insurance and all this other, you know, bullshit that um, someone that, wasn't responsible would do and i was continually uh continuously looking in the fucking rear view mirror to see fucking police right yeah we get good at that after a while oh dude that i still have that fucking skill right uh-huh. so i was coming home from school the other night fucking went around to turn a little fucking hot and uh i looked in my rear view mirror and sure as shit there was a fucking cop behind me right and the fucking cop I love police officers, as you can tell. <laughs> he followed me all the way home. You know what I mean? And I, I was just like, man, fucking pull me over, please. Just pull me over so that I could get the, oh, have you been drinking tonight? You know what I mean? Because I, I, I felt like I wanted to tell someone, no, it's actually been five years, motherfucker. You know what I mean? But um, that that's that's it's so, so trippy that I still have that instinct to look in my oh, yeah. rearview mirror for for the law it it doesn't it doesn't go away like i said you get good at it you train yourself uh and i yeah i'm I'm still the same too i'm like looking i'm always very aware aware of my surroundings and who's behind me and who's next to me and i could spot a cop from you know along what i see him how how be with you how the fuck did you see him yeah well i don't know i just fucking i see him i look you know And uh, and it's not like a conscious thing. It's not like I'm sitting there driving, going, "Look, I'm looking for cops right now. I'm looking for cops right now." But like, boom, there he is, like a mile up the road, you know, hiding out. You know, how they sit on the little oh, yeah. side yeah, waiting yeah, yeah, yeah. to, even in the dark, man. I know. I could even I even detect the unmarked cars. Like I'm I'm good at that, and they're not just driving the Crown Vicks anymore. I know. I, mean, I, I think so. I think I've seen a. Um, well, obviously the Camaros, and then uh, there was like a Ford Fusion, dude, and I could see the little fucking uh, police lights up in the top window of his car, dude. Or, or and this, uh, the, the cop that I saw the other night, it was at nighttime, so I could tell by his headlights that it was a cop, and sure as shit, it was a cop, dude. But uh, for the record, I mean, you know, I do, you know, my, what my sobriety has brought me is a uh, valid driver's license which is amazing. Um, and by the way, I lost my license in DUI. Um, so I have a valid driver's license now. Uh, my registration is current. I pay my insurance uh, monthly. Like, it's it's so amazing. You're that a good I, standing citizen, <laughs> yeah, Seth. It's so amazing that I get to do the, the things that normal people get to do now. <laughs> I know. It's funny, huh? Weird. I would like to add to this, too, that 
that in the in the talk of cops, isn't it funny how when you have a fit like my my grandpa Ray was a Richmond cop for thirty years, right? But he's my grandpa Ray. You know, he's that's my grandpa. I love him. Like he's a normal dude, but he's a cop. You know, and then we have our friends too. I have I have quite a few buddies who are are, are cops, uh, prison guards. Um, you know, this is a it's not a character that they play, but it's their job. You know what I mean? That's what they do for a living. It's how they support their families. And so, um, it's I don't know. It's just funny to me how. One side of it for me is like, oh, the fucking cop, da da da. You know what I mean? And then I think about the, I think about my homies who are cops, and I'm like, well, he's just doing his job. There's like that line, you know what I mean, in between, in between both of them. So I guess what I'm getting at is, I respect police officers now more than ever than I ever have before. Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I've always respected them, I guess, too. But um, you know, there's just, uh, I think that, I think in a I'm, and I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but there's a lot of shit going on right now in the media with cops getting shot and protesting and all this bullshit. And when it comes down to it, you know, there's going to be bad apples in every bunch to use the old classic cliche. And you can't say every cop is a bad, abusive cop because there's some real shit bags out there. Just like every fucking criminal is not a murdering rapist criminal. You know, maybe he made a bad choice one day. So I think it's important that we, you know, we take a look at it as like just as a whole. And you got to look at the full spectrum just before you say, oh, well, fuck all cops or, or, you know, or, or if you're coming from the cop perspective, well, every motherfucker out there that protests is a criminal. You know, we've got to look at a rounded, a rounded perspective and have like an educated discussion on it. And I don't see that people are doing that, you know, mo- most people at least. Soapbox. <laughs> yeah, look at you and your current events, bro. Fuck um, yeah. No, I agree, dude. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I love the police too. I mean, f- I can't believe I'm saying that right now, but I, I really, truly, honestly do. And I've always said, man, if you're not fucking doing anything wrong, good cop, bad cop, whatever kind of cop it is, they're not going to fuck with you. You know what I mean? Obviously, you're drawing attention to yourself. Some way or another, you know, you, you can't, you don't just walk down the street chewing gum and get fucking pulled over. Um, Apparently in Ferguson you do. Well, that's, that's, a, that's <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. I don't know. But that's, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. You know, you know and it, the, the craziest thing that I, like, I still struggle with this, man. I got a family member that's a police officer and I, I have the hardest time like understanding that, you know, um, this particular individual is a human being too. Like they're they're a normal person, you know what I mean? They're not, yeah. they're not a robot. And, um, I guess it just goes to show, like, I have a mad amount of respect for this person. Um, and then to, to see them at their weakest points, dude, it's like, wow, you're, you're fucking human too. You know, and I was just, I was just going to say that just like you said earlier, we're all human. You know, we we're human. We have emotions, we have feelings, all that shit. And so whatever it is we do, whether it's our job or whatever, you know, we're we're not fucking robots yet. No, but I do believe uh in two thousand twenty will be it'll be like the Jetsons. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy, man. I think I think uh, like uh His boy Elroy. Yeah, in in nineteen ninety we were thinking that that's what two thousand ten was gonna bring in. I just, know. Our cars are just more round, and we have, you know, uh, everyone's got a phone nowadays. It's really would, not. Would like you nail Jane, dude? Absolutely. 
Much love, respect. Thank you for listening. Um, send me an email, any questions, any advice, any comments. And uh, help spread the word of sobriety and the fight against alcoholism and addiction. Peace. This has been another episode of That Sober Guy Podcast on Recovery Radio with Shane Kramer. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com or you can email Shane at sobriety at thatsoberguy.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy a sober, healthy, happy life.